Good morning, everybody. It'd be very helpful um, for me if you could keep your Bibles open there. Um, and if you are of a younger generation, hopefully you've received a kind of outline and a bit of a worksheet um, to help you as we go through this sermon. Um, if you're of an older generation, you'd also like to see it. Um, it's in your WhatsApp group for um, MRC family. Um, let me lead us in prayer as we begin our time together in Philippians. Father in heaven, thank you that you um, love to speak. Thank you, as we've already um, discussed with the Baileys, it's often through hard times that you speak most clearly, um, that you show us what we're like, you show us the things we've been trusting in, um, the voices we've been listening to. And so we pray that as um, we look at Philippians together over the next few weeks, we pray that you would speak clearly to us, um, however old we are, however. Um, long we've known you, or in fact, maybe we don't even know you yet. Uh, but please speak, we pray. In Jesus' name. Amen. I was um, chatting to someone a little while ago who was training for a marathon. Actually, it was their first ever marathon. Um, 26 miles of fun it was going to be. And of course, you can't just head out and run that far without any preparation and so they were preparing well they had bought the right trainers over 100 pounds they had um, got a proper training plan to get ready for the marathon lots of long runs and then short runs as well um, long slow runs short quick ones they were watching their diet and the kind of things they were eating um, helping their body and their mind adapt to be able to run 26 miles and because it was their first marathon there were two things they were pretty certain of as I was chatting to them the first thing they were certain of, and I wasn't so sure, they were certain that they were going to complete this marathon. They would reach the end of the race. Maybe it was naive optimism, um, but maybe they would end up crawling. But they said they have started and so they will finish the marathon. Failure for them was not an option. They weren't going to fly themselves to this marathon location and not drag themselves over the line at the end of the day. So they were certain they were going to finish. But the second one is this. The second is when they were running and it got really, really hard, when they hit the wall, as you call it, maybe around 18 to 20 miles, when everything in you screams, stop running. This hurts too much. I don't want to do this anymore. When in large part, the thing that keeps you going to the end is the finish line. It's imagining completing the race. It's thinking where you will be. It's the, the feelings of elation and happiness and joy and celebration. And it was all worth it in the end. Those are the things that you will feel and those are the things that keep you going. The finish line at the end of the race changes how you run in the middle of the race. And you know, as we spend some time in Philippians over the next few weeks, it's striking to me that as Paul starts his letter, he prays for the Philippians with two very similar ideas in mind to my marathon friend. That the importance of the finish line, the importance of the day when Jesus comes back. Have a look down at the text with me and see if you can see them. If you've got a Bible, they're there, but also on your um, sheets that I've done, they're at the top there too. Have a look at verse six. Do you see if Paul is confident that the work that God has started in the Philippians will be finished on the day of Christ. God is at work and God will finish his work. And, and Paul knows that. And, and it's not the naive confidence of the first time marathon runner. 
No, for Paul, it's the confidence of one who, who personally knows the amazing power of God to transform people, even people like Paul. God started and so he will finish his work in his people. The second one, then, have a look down at verse 10. The end of the race changes the middle of the race. So in verse 10, he prays that they would be a church that more and more and more looks like what they will be on the day of Christ. You see, then when Jesus returns, they will be finally pure and blameless with fruitful Christ-shaped lives. God will have finished his work in us. And so now Paul wants them to look more and more and more like that. You see, Paul begins his letter with this prayer by reminding them of big truths about God and what God is doing. But they're not just ideas or theories or theology speak. Now, I think we'll see that they make a real difference. They make a real difference to how we're doing in this strange season as we as we keep on going through lockdown. It's hard, isn't it? Let's be honest. Probably none of us are enjoying it very much. Probably none of us really like Zoom church that much. The, the novelty, the excitement has gone and, and we're keen to see each other again, to, to gather physically together in the same room, to, to hug each other again. And yet, as Paul writes, he is writing from lockdown. Do you see, he wrote this letter in prison. And he was away from his friends. He wasn't able to see them. He wasn't able to touch them or to be with them. And yet the striking thing for me from this letter, from this letter to the Philippians, is that Paul is so joyful. Even though he's in lockdown. Maybe have a read this week and there are loads of times that you'll see he speaks of being full of joy or, or rejoicing or being glad. And what we'll see as we work our way through Philippians is, is his secret. It's not really a secret at all. For Paul, it's simply that his joy doesn't come from the circumstances of his life. What he has or what he doesn't have. But rather his joy comes from what he has in being in Christ. You see, if your joy is found in circumstances or things, then those circumstances or things can change, as, as we've all been finding, haven't we? And yet you might say that Paul was so captivated by Jesus that his captivity in prison wasn't actually that important to him. Wouldn't you love to be like that? Wouldn't, wouldn't you love to know something of that joy? One helpful image a friend of mine um, spoke of when talking about this idea in Philippians was that it's as if Paul can put on spectacles of joy. A way in which he can see the world in terms of the gospel of Jesus, what Jesus has done and what Jesus is doing. And you see, you can't take those things away. And so for Paul, joy is not elusive, as it might be for many of us. Paul knows that even though he's still in prison, well, he's still in Christ. And so he still has joy. 
He, he knows who he is. He knows where he's going, which is why the day of Christ is so important to Paul. We've, we've seen it already in verse 6 and verse 10. But you see, until lockdown, at least, our, our Western world has, has been all about instant gratification, getting what we want straight away. The now, the, the trimmings and our circumstances and our stuff. And, and that makes it really easy for us to take our eyes off Jesus and all he's done and all we have in him. And maybe we've forgotten he's coming back or we've lost sight of the fact that this is not all there is. And maybe COVID is showing us something of that, that we've been finding our joy in the trimmings too much, in the circumstances and the stuff. You see, if you find life and joy in playing the piano on a Wednesday, then you break your finger. Well, on a Thursday, what can you do? And maybe God's taken something away from us for a bit so that we look back to him and find our joy in him. Who he is, what he's done, what he's doing, what he will do. Let's have a get into these verses and see what's going on. Um, how Paul knows that Jesus is coming back and it shapes what he prays for his Philippian friends. Morden um, Road, just as an aside, maybe this is something we could be praying for each other. Maybe we could be praying prayers like this. For one another so that even though we're apart even though it's not ideal even though some of us are really struggling why don't we pray prayers like this prayer that we don't stagnate in our faith but that we keep growing that that god would use this time to be like a, a greenhouse for us that we would grow strong and healthy as believers rather than struggling okay so two points this morning um because of the day of christ Paul is confident that God will finish the job. Because of the day of Christ, Paul is confident that God will finish the job. Now, now I know that's not perfect, and some of you on your phones will struggle to see that, but hopefully there's a reminder um, over there for that first point. Okay, because of the day of Christ, Paul is confident that God will finish the job. God has started his work in them and in us. And so he will finish that work. Now, Paul's joy is surprisingly tied up with how the Philippians are doing or, or better, what God is doing in them. Why is that surprising? It's surprising, firstly, because Paul is not the emotionally stunted cold fish he's often painted as being. People often think Paul was about theology and truth and ideas and arguments, but it, it turns out Paul loved people. And so he was joyful because he saw God at work in them. But it's also surprising because, because we know the cost of that. Because people hurt us or they snap at us or they criticise us and so we back off and we keep a distance. But, but not so for Paul. His joy is tied up with how they're doing. So have a look at verses three and four and then verses seven and eight. Verses three and four. I thank my God every time I remember you in all my prayers for all of you. I always pray with joy. We're down to verse seven. And it's right for me to feel this way about all of you since I have you in my heart, whether I'm in chains or defending and confirming the gospel. All of you share in God's grace with me. God can testify how I long for all of you with the affection of Christ Jesus. Do you see, he, he really loves them, doesn't he? 
he has a real joy in them. Every time I remember in all of my prayers, I always pray with joy. Why does he pray with such joy as he remembers them? Well, firstly, because of their partnership in the gospel. See, that's in verse five there. You can read about that partnership in Acts 16. They're partners, firstly, because they have joined Paul in trusting Christ. They become part of the family. Secondly, they're partners, I think, because they, they're suffering like Paul did. Again, that's in Acts 16. Also, we'll see it in 1 verse 29 next week. It's, it's still happening to them, for, for it's been granted to you on behalf of Christ, not only to believe in him, but also to suffer for him. Standing with Paul when it's hard to stand with Paul. But thirdly, there's a partnership too, I think, because they partner financially with him. They, they get out their checkbook, they send money to Paul so he can continue to share Christ as he travels around. We'll, we'll hear more about that in chapter four, probably next month or even the one after. Paul, Paul sees how they've stood with him and he loves that about them. He's, he's full of joy over it. He's excited. What does partnership look like for us in this funny season? That kind of gospel partnership that Paul is excited on as he sees the Philippians standing with him. Partnership, firstly, well, it, it is a joy for me to see the church standing with one another, partnering with each other in this difficult time, looking after each other. There are, I know, all kinds of phone calls and letters, food packages, WhatsApps, Zooms, prayers, all kinds of things going on. It's great to see the church body at work. It brings me joy to see your partnership with each other. As Charlie mentioned, it, it would be worth saying if you're a regular at Magdalen Road, then financial partnership is particularly important for us at the moment. It is a complicated time. We're, we're not funded by an outside body. We need God's people where they can to, to be generous. John told us a few weeks ago that it's budget time. We're down this year. We talked about that before Christmas as well. So we're having to make hard decisions. So if you can, please do think about how you might partner financially with us. If, you, if you're not a regular or you're not a member, then please um, switch off at that point. But if you're someone who would call Morden Road Church you, your spiritual home, um, we'd love you if you can to partner with us in that way. Maybe you've not reviewed your giving for a while. Maybe there's an opportunity to do so. So Paul finds joy in their partnership, but it's more than that as well, isn't it? He has a joy because he can confidently pray God will finish the job he started. So do you see verse five flows through into verse six? says being confident of this that he who began a good work into you will carry it on to completion until the day of Christ Jesus. Now it's it's such an important thing for us to latch onto, especially as life is hard and especially maybe we're seeing more of our own frustration and our own sin and our own selfishness with each other. I'm finding lockdown has a tendency to bring that out in me. So verses like verse six give me real comfort and hope and encouragement at times like this is that you? Are, you are you struggling with yourself with the reality of your own sin then latch on to verse six cling to it because it means that god is at work in his people in me in you even in covid we can be sure he's at work in the midst of the mess and he will finish the job. And we might not understand what he's doing. We, we might not enjoy it very much at the time, but we can be sure he's continuing his good work in us. 
Let me I'll give you an example to chew on from later in the letter. Uh, chapter two, Paul famously says, chapter two, verse kind of three, four, five around there. He says, do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit, but in humility, consider others above yourselves. In your relationships with one another, have the same mindset as Christ Jesus, which is a really big ask. But, but you see, God is the master craftsman. And he's at work in us and he will finish that job. He's chiseling away. He's he's finishing off his good work. Carefully, lovingly refining us, changing us. And it may be painful. And it may be not be very nice at the time. But it's good for us. He's he's transforming us to be more like Jesus. Maybe he's pointing out and getting rid of our selfish ambition and vain conceit. Maybe he's humbling us. Humbling us so we consider others above ourselves. Maybe increasingly he's, he's showing us how to have more of the mindset of Jesus Christ that we might serve our family and serve those around us. And so friends, be encouraged. Maybe that's the kind of work he's, he's busy at in you at the moment. And one day he will finish. God's not the naive marathon runner, certain they will finish though. He's the God of all love and power and patience. And in case you're sceptical, he's not like us. He's not the kind of God with half-finished DIY projects everywhere because he got too busy or got distracted by other things or he's run out of steam or he's run out of money. or No, no, no. no. He who began a good work in you will carry it on to completion until the day of Christ Jesus. He finishes what he started. We can trust him in that. Second point is that the day of Christ is vital for us to latch onto. And so he prays that they would be a church that's more and more ready for Jesus to come back. I'm going to go and do the makeshift PowerPoint. I'm aware it may not be that visible for you. And we'll try bigger font next time. Um, but let me go uh, and do this quickly. church that's more and more ready for Jesus to come back let me read again from verse 9 to 11 for praise and this is my prayer that your love may abound more and more in knowledge and depth of insight so that you may be able to discern what is best and may be pure and blameless for the day of Christ filled with the fruit of righteousness that comes through Jesus Christ to the glory and praise of God now I always find Paul's prayers kind of like overpacked suitcases. There's so much in there, but I'll try and show you how I think the prayer works. Um, we're going to work backwards, see if that helps us. The end result, the end of the prayer, verses 10 and 11, is that it's a church ready for Jesus to come back. And so it's filled with the fruit of righteousness. It's a, a church that in one sense looks like Jesus, but he prays that we'll be growing into that now. He wants them now to look like what they will be then. It's the middle of the marathon. Maybe it's hard. And so he's visualizing the end. It's, the end is shaping us now. So they keep running now that they would not stand still and stall, but in, in their godliness, but they would grow and thrive and blossom as believers. I think we get to see something of what verse six is about, the good work that he's doing in his people. And so he prays that their, their love may abound more and more in knowledge and depth of insight. 
Now, the first one then is he prays for love. The church is to be a place where there is lots of love. That's, that's love for God on the vertical and love for each other on the horizontal. It may be a particular problem for them in Philippi. We'll see as the letter goes on. The church seems to be divided in places. There are people taking sides and squabbling. So he's praying that they would love each other as they love God. But the love he prays for is not a, a mushy love, but a, a special type of love, a love that has knowledge and insight, he says. What does that mean? Um, I think the knowledge word is not an information word, but a relationship word. It's a it's a knowing God word. In the Bible, sometimes it talks about when we know someone. It doesn't mean we know about them, but we know them personally. So there's a, a knowing God. But also then the insight is a wisdom to live well word, which means when you put them together, I think if you know God better. Then you know how to live in God's world better the better we get to know God the better we know what it means to live in his world and then the president stop there it goes on so that you may be able to discern what is best says Paul now discerning what is best well, life is a story of choices isn't it every day even in lockdown we have choices and decisions to make some of us can be paralyzed by those choices what do I spend my money on what do I fill my time with what do I fill my brain with my heart with what what do I say what don't I say what do I do what don't I do and so if you have an initial overflow of love and a growing knowledge of God which leads to practical wisdom into how to live in his world then you can discern what is best and then the choices that you make will be the right choices, the right, right ones. And so you will live well in his world as his people. That, that's the kind of prayer I think that Paul is praying for the Philippians. It may for us, it's a prayer we could be praying for each other. How do we live well in lockdown? What a good question to wrestle with. Half of us, I, I think, are, are twiddling our thumbs and full of energy and and half of us are exhausted and stressed and anxious. Maybe it's knowing what to fill your diary with. Maybe it's what to spend time on, what to fill our minds and our hearts with. Um, and we think those things don't make a big difference, but actually they do. And they begin to shape us and control us and mould us. And, and they're the trimmings and the circumstances and the stuff. And we start to find our joy in them rather than in Christ. says that your love may abound more and more in knowledge and depth of insight so that you may be able to discern what is best and you see on that day at the end of the marathon when we cross the finish line he says we will be pure and blameless filled with the fruit of righteousness god god has finished his work in us maybe that's hard for you to believe because Maybe you feel like a bit of a mess now. Maybe we, we are seeing our, our patience or our unkind words or our anger or pride or, or selfishness or whatever it might be at this point. Maybe anxiety is rife. And yet God will finish his work in us. On that day, it will be amazing. We will be filled with the fruit of righteousness. We will be fully pure and we'll be blameless. And there's a sense in which 
theologically speaking we are that now in Christ as as God the Father looks at you if you're a believer if you're a Christian he he sees you with the perfect pure spotless righteousness of, of his son his account credited to yours his perfection bestowed upon you his righteousness yours as a gift a gift of grace and in these bodies in this place we're, we're a work in progress still aren't we being sanctified being changed into the likeness of Jesus still in one sense, becoming who we are already in Christ. But on that day, it will be incredible. I think it'd be as if almost if we could look in a kind of proverbial mirror and think, who is that person then? They're, they're familiar, but I don't, I don't quite recognise them. Hang on, they, they almost look like me, but maybe... No, they're like the me I wanted to be, but I never could be. They, they almost look like me, but, but they look like Christ. Don't you long for that day? When we can see him face to face, when the daily struggle of fighting our sin is over, when, when he finishes what he started in us. Maybe our question is, well, I'd, I'd love to believe that. But actually, do, do, you, do you know the real me? Do you, do, you, do you know the real me? Not the mask, but the person inside. Am I really going to look like that when Jesus returns? Because I've, I've tried so hard and I've tried to change and I've turned over more leads than you've had hot dinners. And I said I'd never do it again, but I always do. I always do. But you see, as we finish, how does the verse continue? Filled with the fruit of righteousness that comes through Jesus Christ. Do you see? Do you see? It's not about you and looking inside you and trying really hard and gritting your teeth and mustering up all your self-control and all your effort and doing all you can. No, it's about Christ. It comes through Jesus Christ it's his work in us and when we're joined to him we shall see his fruit growing in us when Jesus comes back Paul imagines Christians in Philippi to be like like fruit trees at harvest time branches bursting with um, fruit branches hanging low overflowing laden with with righteous deeds that Christ has worked in them and through them so they look like him that's the vision has that's the vision that Paul has for them at the end that's what he wants them to look like when Jesus comes back and because God is a God who finishes his jobs so he's confident they will look like that let me pray for us now. Father in heaven, we would love to get better at these big picture prayers, remembering who you are and what you've done and what you will do. And so we pray that you would give us a humble confidence that because Jesus is going to come back, so we know that you will finish the job. And because Jesus is going to come back, that you would make us more and more ready with knowledge and love and insight 
that you would shape us more into the likeness of Jesus. And we pray that you would give us joy. Father, we confess how easy it is that we find our, our joy in the trimmings and the circumstances and the stuff. And now you've taken that away, we're not quite sure what to do. So please help our hearts to be retuned to you, to the gospel of the Lord Jesus. Might we find our joy in him. We pray these things in your name and indeed for your glory. Amen.